God, we pray that you uh, <laughs> would do your stuff in, uh, in us this morning. God, that your spirit would bless us, your spirit would meet with us. God, that your spirit would bring healing upon our lives, physically, emotionally, spiritually, God, whatever we need. God, we pray that you would speak. We pray that you would give us soft hearts. God, that any resistance that we have towards you, God, that we would just lay that down so that we might be touched by you. God, we pray against the work of the enemy who would want to desire to steal uh, this word from our hearts. And God, we bind him in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have to get the title into the bulletin on Thursday because that's when it's printed, but when I started writing on Friday, I realized we're not going to get there. So uh, I was going to do the first seven verses of Ephesians, but we're only get to the first two. <coughs> and uh, so we're going to talk about radical love today. Our text begins like this. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Uh, we are God's dearly loved children children. Uh, we're not just his children, and sometimes people think that way. They think, well, I'm just one of God's kids, and I'm probably like, you know, a millionth on the list because I really screw up a lot, and, you know, God's not really, we, each of us, you, are God's dearly loved child, and because we are God's kids, we don't have to live as like uh, some lonely orphan anymore. Uh, we don't have to live as if we're not wanted. Because we are. God wants you, and he loves you. We don't have to live like uh, we have no power and no help, because we do have power and help through our Heavenly Father. Or we don't have to live like we're trying to, to show off and perform above and our, everybody's expectations, trying to win people's favors, because, because we're God's kids. We're secure in who we are. Uh, we don't have to live as orphans any longer. We are his dearly, dearly loved kids. And that should thrill us. I mean, you can imagine if you were an orphan and, uh, you know, like Bill Gates or Bono came along, someone with a lot of money, and just kind of adopted you. You would just be like over the moon. You're like, this is amazing. I'm going to move into this awesome family. And, but how much more us? We've been adopted by the God of this universe. The God who owns everything. A God who is more loving than you could ever imagine. A God who is amazing and brilliant and, and, and just beyond anything. And he has adopted it. And he looks at us and says, you're my dearly loved child. Now, how do we get adopted into God's family? It says uh, very clearly in, uh, is it a clicker died or did it get clicked off? Next uh, slide there. Is it stuck? There we go. It says, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, how do we become a child of God? To all who believe and accept Jesus. I mean, if you just open your heart to Jesus, all of a sudden God scoops you up as this orphan and he brings you into his family and he says, you are mine and you are dearly loved and I'm going to hold on to you. I'm not going to let you go. And I'm going to pour out my favor on you. I'm going to walk with you and bless you. I think this thing died. So, uh, Patricia... When I point this thing at the screen, just forward it. I think we've got to change the battery like every week. <laughs> uh, Romans 8 uh, says, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. 
Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. He actually uses the word like adoption, that he actually adopts us. Again, we don't have to live like we're alone anymore. We don't have to live as if we're unloved anymore. We are loved. We are adopted. And that and it actually says, now we can call him Abba, Father. And the word Abba is actually a very intimate word. It's not like a word of, you know, this distant, mean God that we need to, you know, like be totally afraid and hide from. It's our word, like the idea of daddy. The scripture actually says that, that the spirit in us, because Jesus lives on us, that we can actually call the God of this universe daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That, that God, again, is not a distant God. Notice he says his spirit joins with our spirit. I mean, it's similar to the idea of marriage. When a husband and wife, they become one flesh and they are joined. There is this, this supernatural thing that happens when we are adopted into God's family, that we are actually joined with him. In a sense, that as we sang that song from the, from, uh, the oceans, uh, you are mine, and, and, or he is mine, and oh, however it goes anyways. <laughs> Forget, next slide. <laughs> he was more... Uh, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Crystal read this earlier. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I mean, this is how dearly loved we are. That it doesn't matter what we've been through this week. No matter how much you've messed up as a child to God, you can actually come boldly and confidently into the very throne room of grace. It's talking about the, the idea of the holy of holies, a place where people couldn't go in the Old Testament. We can actually boldly go in, not because we're so amazing, but because Jesus is so amazing. And we are that loved. And you can picture a king over a land, and, and, and his kid is always welcome into the throne. You are always welcome into his throne room. See how much he loves you. You are dearly, dearly loved as a child of God. And you got to walk like it. you got to act like it. you gotta, you got to, that's, that's part of living into the truth of God's word. Next slide. You probably won't be able to read this, but uh, I'll read it for you. A uh, comparison between sort of orphan thinking and thinking as a child of God. Part of living as free people is actually trusting God's word. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And a lot of times we don't live in freedom because we actually don't walk in the truth. And we've talked about this, that we've got to take every single word of God, and, and we take our minds captive and make it obedient to the word of God. In other words, when our living does not line up with the word of God, we don't bring God down to us, we bring ourselves under the power of God. And if we live as an orphan, if we don't really believe that we are dearly loved kids, this is how we tend to live. The orphan, he often will feel alone. Uh, he lacks a vital daily intimacy with God and is full of self-concern. I mean, this, this is kind of orphan thinking. This is not trusting that you are a loved child of God. The child of God, on your hand, is a growing assurance that God is really my loving Heavenly Father. And that should be something growing in you. Because you can never tap that out. And you can never get to a place where, like, I fully understand how much God loves me. It's something we grow into. The orphan is anxious over felt needs, relationships, money, health. The orphan thinks, I'm all alone and nobody cares. I'm, I'm not a happy, happy camper. That's orphan thinking. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he is all loving and all powerful. That's, that's not free truth thinking. The child of God, on the other hand, trusts the Father. And has a growing confidence in his loving care. Is freed up from worry. 
The orphan lives on a succeed-fail basis. Needs to look good and be right is performance-oriented because he's got to win his spot in the world. His, his confidence, his security comes from how everybody else, what everybody else thinks of them. But our securities come from Jesus, that we are fully loved and accepted in him. The child of God is learning to live in daily conscious partnership with God and is not fearful. The orphan feels condemned, guilty, and unworthy before God and others. That's for the people, when they mess up, they don't want to show up at church because, I mean, they just want to, they think God's going to get them. They're the people who mess up and they can't come boldly into the throne room of grace. They just kind of shrink away in a corner and they isolate themselves. And I tell you, whenever you isolate yourself, Satan will come and get you. Satan loves to isolate people so he can assassinate people. We can go boldly into the throne room of God. And the child of God in their hand feels loved forgiven, totally accepted because Christ's merit really clothes him. The orphan has little faith, lots of fear, lots of faith in himself. I've got to fix this. Again, it's up to me. If it's going to happen, i got to do it. i got to perform. i got to make this happen. And again, they're constantly stressed out about health, money issues, because it's all up to them. That's, that's orphan thinking. That's the idea that you're alone. You are not alone. You are a dearly loved child of God, whom a God who will never leave you nor forsake you, who is all-powerful, who has got you, who knows what you are going through, who knows what you need even before you ask. And so a child of God has a daily working trust in God's sovereign plan for her life as loving, wise, and best, believes God is good. And he believes God is good because that's what the Word says. And because he knows God is good through experience. Uh, We're not to live as orphans anymore. Don't bring God down to where you are. Bring your life under the truth of God. You really are a dearly loved child of God. More loved than you could ever possibly even imagine. Next slide. The next slide there. There we go. Uh, Jack Frost said this. As an orphan... You feel as if you do not belong. Love, value, honor, and acceptance are foreign concepts to you. You believe you have to act right, dress right, talk right, and do right in order to be loved and accepted. And even then, it still doesn't happen. You feel as if there is something more you have to do or put in in order to feel rest and feel valued. With the spirit of sonship, however, you feel loved, valued, honored, and accepted for who you are as God's creation. You have no more need to prove yourself to anyone. As a son or daughter, you feel a sense of total love and acceptance. Is that you today? I mean, you just feel at at rest because you know you are loved and accepted and set free by the work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, We are to live as dearly loved kids. We are not to live as orphans. Next slide. And then it goes on, so follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So uh, God is telling us here that we're actually to follow his example as his children. And that example primarily is its love, and the love that is demonstrated on the cross. And we know this with, with like in the natural that, you know, often you can look at uh, someone's kids 
Can you say here just like your dad? I can see your dad. I can see your mom in you. We know that. People should be able to look at us as God's dearly loved kids and say, you know, I see your dad in you. I see the heavenly father in you. And not just when you come to church, but in your marriage, your wife should be able to see God in you. Your coworkers should be able to see God in you. Your, your the people in the community should be see God in you. Your, your enemies should be, see God in you. Because we are dearly loved kids. It's only when we live as orphans that people don't see God in us. And so we're to live as dearly loved kids. We're to follow his example and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. So the example God is wanting us to see is that we would be Christ-like in our love. And not just a worldly love. He specifically gives the example of Jesus offering himself on a cross for others. That is the example we're to walk in. Next slide. 1 John 3.16 says this similarly. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so when we're talking about being an example in the way God loves, we, again, we don't look at how people love us. That's the example. Jesus, who is perfect, who is God in the flesh, dying for us as sinners when he didn't have to. That's the example of love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then it says we're to walk in the example. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In other words, we are to walk in the way of love. And that love is to be a self-sacrificial, others-centered kind of love. Again, people should see this in us. We are as kids, they should see dad in all of our lives. And the first thing that sh they should see in us is the smell of love. Next slide. Colossians 3.13. says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Again, it says it there. You are, you are dearly loved. Don't you ever, ever, ever think that God doesn't love you. God loves you dearly. Clothe yourself with compassion. That's important. Kindness, that's important. Humility, that's super important. Gentleness and patience, those are all real important. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Ah, that's really important. If anyone has a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave. That's super important. And then it says this, over all these virtues. Man, that's important stuff. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is to be the number one thing that people see in us. This is what God is saying to us in this text. The number one thing that they should see in us is this atmosphere of love, the smell of love, the sense of love, because it is the one thing we must do well in. Next slide. Galatians 5.14. The whole law can be summed up in a single command, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a super interesting text, because we know what Jesus said when someone asked him at one time, what was the greatest command? Out of all the 613 commands in the Bible, what is the greatest? And Jesus gave two. They were to love God with all our whole heart, soul, and mind. And then he said we're to love our neighbor as ourself. But here the Holy Spirit in Galatians just gives us one. doesn't even say anything about loving God with all our whole heart, soul, and mind. It says the whole law can be summed up in a single command. You must love others deeply. You must love others deeply. Now, how important is that command that 
the Holy Spirit sought to write that down without even saying you must love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is how vitally important this is, and it also shows us how deeply connected it is with loving God. That you po- cannot possibly love deeply without a deep connection with God. I mean, that's, that's what it says, I believe, in the book of John, that and you know, if, you, if you hate your brother and sisters, that you just can't have God's love in your heart. Uh, and so we're to love deeply. It's the one thing we must do well in. Next slide. 1 Corinthians 13. Now these three remain. Again, a couple big things, faith, hope, and love. But then it says the greatest of these is love. Galatians 5, 6 says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You say, well, surely there's more things that really count than that. Again, the Holy Spirit saw it fit to say the only thing that counts is your faith being expressed through love. Again, the one thing, if you're going to do well in anything in life, if you want to major in anything in Christianity, it's got to be love. That's not always the most fun thing because love is hard sometimes. Love, when you love people, you get hurt. A lot of times we want to major in, I got so many verses memorized, or, you know, I got this song memorized, or, you know, I, I read my Bible 20 times a day. I mean, we want to major in all kinds of things. I got, I'm really good at this or that. I know what's going on in this world. The one thing we must do well in is love. The one thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Next slide. John the Apostle, there is uh, uh, one of the early church fathers, Jerome, in one of his commentaries, uh, tells when the Apostle John was old, he's the only apostle who wasn't martyred, they had to carry him to church, and when they brought them to church, because he was one of the original apostles, they would always ask him, give us a word, preach us a sermon, and you know what, He he would just say this, in his old age, little children love one another. And he would say that over and over again, little children love one another. John, you are a Jesus. Tell us what to do. Tell us how to live awesome for God. Little children love one another. And the story is told that when they would ask him, why do you keep on saying this? And this is what he said. It is the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. Again, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, obviously, you can't do that without a close relationship with Jesus. And there's no way you can love your enemies with that kind of love unless you have a deep, connecting, abiding relationship with Jesus. But the point is, is that this, this, is, this is real stuff. It's not something that was kind of optional in Christianity. You know, I can choose to be a loving person or not. I'll just kind of try to be a pretty loving person and, you know, because really my other major focuses are other areas of my Christian. No, this is the one area we need to make sure we are bang on and that we are constantly growing in. Next slide. And so our primary heart posture towards others should be love. If it's the one thing that we must do well on, then our primary heart posture towards any person we meet, the first thing that should go in our heart, the first thought, the first feeling, the first emotion, it actually should be love. And that's often not the case. Often uh, our first motive might be, I want to show that person that I'm right. I want to show that person that they're wrong and I'm right. And you start a conversation and your conversation is not saturated in love, it's saturated with the desire, I've got to prove that person that I'm right. It might be, I'm going to show that person my perspective. Or I'm going to show the person that I have the truth and they don't have the truth. 
or you know, they need to listen to me and they're going to hear my feelings. And it's a very, often it's very selfish. But the one thing we must do well in is love. Our primary heart posture in any conversation with anybody, any thought about should be first and foremost a posture of love. Next slide. First Corinthians 13 talks about things that we can be great at. And again, we can be great at a lot of things. But it says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, imagine if you could do that. You could fathom all knowledge and you, had, you could just heal every single person that came to you. And you could give everybody this perfect word of prophecy and you could just like, do these amazing things. Man, you think that would be the thing that everybody would want. Like, that should be the top of the game. And if I have faith that moves mountains, that's pretty amazing too. Man, imagine if we had faith that we could just move mountains like that. Do not have love, but I, I am nothing. If I uh, give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Again, there are a lot of things that we can focus on in Christianity. There's a lot of things that we can focus on in this world. There's a lot of things that I want to really grow in that, and that's all good. But the one thing you have to grow in, that I have to grow in, the one thing that we cannot just kind of put to the sideline, no matter what we're going through, is love. We need to learn to love people deeply. We need to learn that our primary heart, thought, feeling towards somebody is, is actually love. Next slide. Even in our words, as we learned just a couple weeks ago, it says in Ephesians, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Even our words. The primary purpose of our words is to love. Sometimes our primary purpose is, I need to show that person how I feel. I'm just going to give it to them because they hurt me and... As we talked about, we don't always have to say what we feel, and we shouldn't. Words are actually to help others, to build up others according to their needs, so that it may benefit them. Again, our primary heart posture is to be love, is to be saturated with love. Now, you might ask, uh, next slide, you know, about the idea of truth. You know, well, people need to hear the truth. Yeah, they do. And some people go around and say, you know, I'm just a person who tells people the truth. Often that just means you're rude, a lot of times. Uh, truth without love and love without truth, is, it just makes it an untruth. As, as uh, apologist Ravi Zacharias said, he said this, If truth is not undergirded by love, it makes the possessor of that truth obnoxious and the truth repulsive. Next slide. We've uh, talked about this, and we did a whole series on uh, speaking the truth in love. But again, we've got to give truth burritos. Every single truth needs to be wrapped in love. That's the wrap. And you know, when you hand someone a burrito, what is the first thing they see? The wrapping. Every truth is to be wrapped in love. Because God is love, and the truth is love. And if you try to speak truth without love, it actually makes it not true. Because truth is love, and God is love. And Jesus is the truth, and he is love. I mean, you, you, I mean love needs to saturate everything we do. It's got to be a heart motive. It's got to be a desire. It's got to be one of those things that, that we really do well on. It's the one thing that we should say, I just want to grow in. And over the last few months, uh, 
man, I've just been reading, like, I'm always reading through the Bible, but just, again, just seeing how much the Bible speaks about love. It is all over the place. And I'm just coming more and more to the conclusion that, man, I really got to grow in love. I got to grow in my ability to love you. Uh, the only way I'm going to be an effective pastor is if I grow in love. And I got to grow in love for my family. I got to grow in love for those who, in this community, that we must grow in love because that's where power and passion and goodness comes from. Next slide. How are you doing today? If I asked you that question, how would you answer? You know, a lot of times we answer this question. In fact, uh, Dr. Greg Mitchell, who's coming at the end of October, he, he's the one I first heard this from. And uh, he, he was talking about how often when we answer that question, we just go to our stuff or our job or our things. Well, I had a great week because I made lots of money this week. Or I had a great week because I got all my tasks done for today. And, you know, sometimes if you're like me, you know, if you get everything done on your list, you're like, I had the most amazing day. If you don't get everything done on your list, you're like, oh, you know. He says, we got to look at this time entirely differently. Because the Bible's major agenda for you is not, did you get your list done? Your Bible's major agenda for you is not, you know, how'd your job go today? The Bible's major agenda for you every single day and for me every single day is, how are we doing at loving people? And so when you ask this question, how are you doing, your answer should be, how am I doing at loving my wife? How am I doing at loving my husband? How am I doing at loving my neighbor? How am I doing at loving those people at work? That's the real answer to that question. Because that's the one thing we must do well in. That is the one thing that we must not miss is this extravagant love that we have for people. And so we're going to try to make this a little more practical. Uh, and so I'm just going to start throwing up some names and faces. And uh, when you see these images, some of these people are controversial, some not. Some of you like, some of you don't like. But here, here's, the, here's what we need to do. When you see these faces, when you see these people, is your first reaction a love, loving reaction? Is your first thought that of love? And some of these people didn't have done some horrible things. Some of these people might be hard to love. But again, our primary heart posture must be love. It can't be judgment. Because if we want to help somebody, you're not going to help them by dumping a bunch of rules on them and judging them. It's just going to cause rebellion and cause them to run farther away. Love. And truth. And so as we go through this, is the first thing that goes through your heart love? Is it, is it, is, oh man, God, I want the best for that person, God, I just want, or is it judgment? Is it fear? What is it? So let's go. How about uh, Katy Perry? Someone who's been hard for some of the church to love? Is it love? Next one. Justin Bieber. Next one. How about John MacArthur? Or we'll go on the opposite extreme. Benny Hinn. John Piper. How about Bill Johnson? How about Oprah Winfrey? Ellen DeGeneres. George Bush. How about the president of North Korea? Done some awful things. I tell you what, I was, I actually went through this numerous times because uh, it took me a while to actually go through this before my first response was love. Because, it, man, we are so used to, first of all, judging, so used to condemning, 
I think it's just something the news has taught us. We just gobble all this negative stuff, and, and we just so quickly, I think our brain is just wired to look at negative things so quickly. But we've got to learn that our first heart response is to be love. If we really actually want to help somebody, that burrito has got to be wrapped in love, not judgment. It's got to be wrapped in love, not condemnation. Even when it comes to really difficult people. Next slide. Romans 5.8, because again, the, the text is, not follow the world's example and love as people around you love. No, follow God's example. The example is Jesus dying on a cross. And Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while we were rebelling against God, we had no interest in God, Jesus still goes to the cross and he dies for us. And he's saying, we're to love the same way. That Jesus, his primary heart posture towards us, you know, it's love. His primary heart posture towards even people who are rebelling against him is, is actually love. Consider this text, John 3, 16 to 17. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In other words, his primary heart motive in sending the son and looking at the world is love. Is that I'm willing to self-sacrifice myself and totally be other-centered and die on a cross. That this was his primary heart motive and he's asking for us to do the same. This doesn't mean we ignore people's sins. We ignore the ugly stuff that people have done. Again, Jesus is truth. Jesus is love. You can't ignore truth. Sometimes there's got to be tough conversations. Sometimes there's got to be boundaries set. But we need to make sure that our primary heart motive is love. Even in the Old Testament, God cries out at one time, you know, why will you die? Why will you die? I mean, come to me and live. His primary heart motive is always love, even towards his, his enemies. And again, we are to walk in this same idea. Next slide. We see this on the cross as Jesus was about to die. People who killed him and tortured him. He's totally innocent. He's the most loving being in the universe. If anybody had a reason to, you know, get angry, it would be Jesus at that moment. But look at his heart motive. Look at his heart's posture. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And I really believe that that's got to be our primary heart posture to every single people, person we meet. And I tell you, if we want to be effective at growing the kingdom, this has to be our primary heart posture. It's got to be a posture of love. I mean, you want to tell someone the truth, if they don't feel that you love them, they're going to run or rebel or turn from it. Next slide. So I read this again. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So let's keep going with a few more names here. And then, sorry, I got one more text here, actually. Notice this phrase first. You will be children of the Most High. Again, this is talking about what God wants to see as kids. Follow God's example. What does that look like? It says in this passage, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And then he says this, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Just as God's primary heart posture towards people is love, so our primary heart posture towards anyone we meet is to be love as a challenge because people hurt us and it's people who hurt other people. But again, this is, this is a high calling to live into this. Next slide. So let's keep going. How about uh, Caitlin Jenner? Bill Christy Clark? Vladimir Putin? Donald Trump, but Madonna. How about that co-worker? Who is it in that photo today for you? It could be a spouse. It could be someone at school. It could be your landlord. It could be your neighbor. It could be that person across the ocean in some other country that when you first see, it's just like judgment. It's condemnation. I just want to get them. Ugh, just ugly feeling. That's not walking in the way of Christ. That's not walking in the way of love. That's not having your primary heart's posture in, in, in a sense of love. And one of the ways you get there is what Jesus told us. Pray for your enemies and pray that God would bless them because it changes our heart. Next slide. We're almost done here. First John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. And like, how do you get to that place where your primary heart posture is love? And when you can look at these people that just drive you nuts, and your first thing you think about is just, just love for them. How do you get there? It's from basking in the love of Jesus. I think that's why the Holy Spirit could say, the whole law is summed up in one command. You love your neighbor as yourself, because you cannot do that unless you're saturated in the love of Jesus. Saturated deeply in the love of Jesus. Next slide. There's a story in Luke chapter 7, story of Jesus hanging out with a bunch of tax collectors, and in walks this prostitute. And immediately, everyone in the room is religious. Their primary heart posture towards that prostitute is not love. Their primary heart posture is judgment and condemnation. The prostitute walks in, uh, dumps some perfume on Jesus' feet, begins to cry and wipe his feet uh, with her hair. Again, there's no love in the room. The prime posture is who is that woman? Jesus, you knew who that person was. It's judgment and condemnation. I mean, there's no way they're going to win that person to God. There are only two in that room whose primary heart posture was love. One was the prostitute who didn't care what others thought and just came to Jesus to worship him. And the other was Jesus. Who didn't condemn that woman because knew what was going on that in, in her heart. And Jesus forgives. And then he says this. He turns towards the woman and to Simon, who's one of the religious guys. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet in her tears and uh, with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And if you have trouble loving people, it's because you have a trouble understanding God's love for you. If you have trouble loving people deeply and you're first, you just seem to have condemnation, judgment, hatred, it shows that the love of God needs more work in you. And I tell you, the love of God needs more work in me, for sure. But I tell you, when you realize how dearly loved you are as a child of God, considering God knows everything you've done, every thought you've had, every wrong motive you've ever thought in your life, whenever you've hurt somebody, I tell you, we've all hurt a lot of people. God still says, I love you so much, and I sent my son to die for you, and I adopt you into my family. I tell you, the more you bask in the love of Jesus, the more you can look even at your enemies, and your first heart posture is, it's this love, this desire. I just want to see them connect with Jesus, and, 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 and then maybe you get on to thinking that that person's not safe, and I can't be around that person right now, but, but are you do you, do you know the love of God in your heart? Have you just opened yourself and surrendered and just say, God, I want to know your love and I want to know you deeply. And I tell you, it is just like dating in some ways. When you fall in love with somebody, the more time you spend with them, the more you hang out with them, and your love just gets deeper and, and deeper. I mean, Marie and I have been married for over 20 years, and our love just keeps getting deeper because we just can keep on connecting. I tell you, the more you connect with God, the deeper your love gets. And so if you're struggling to love, to have your primary heart's posture is love, you just run to Jesus. You just surrender your heart to him. So I'm going to invite the worship team up, if we can. And I'm uh, also going to invite the prayer team up. The prayer team is going to be over in this corner. Uh, we're going to have the prayer team uh, active and ready during this final uh, part of worship. And um, if you need prayer for anything, uh, please come and pray. Uh, God has been doing some uh, incredible things. In fact, our own family has experienced some uh, awesome stuff from the prayer ministry. Back in December, I was really struggling with uh, really discouragement and depression that was really heavy on me, and, and I had the prayer team prayer for me, and I tell you, it just lifted. Uh, it just lifted in this incredible way. Uh, my son James, uh, for years, had been struggling with these crazy stomach pains that would just caused him to be in bed he couldn't go places and he came up to this place and had prayer and and he's been healed uh he's had no more of these these serious serious stomach issues and i tell you if you need healing in your body you uh, just want to be retouched by the love of god you have a friend that needs something uh god is a god who answers prayer uh, the bible says you don't have because you don't ask i mean there's nothing to lose by coming and having uh, people pray for you. There's only a lot to be gained. And so let's stand together. Father, we ask that as we come to you in worship, God, where we take our minds off ourselves, and God, maybe the hunger in our stomach or the desire that we need to leave, God, if we just surrender that and just say, God, I want to know you. And God, I just put all my attention on you. God, I pray you would touch us all as we close out the service 
with a deep sense of your love for us. God, I pray that any shame or guilt that we are carrying today, God, would be washed away in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that if anyone here is distant, God, that they would just open their heart and surrender to you. God, I pray that you would answer prayer as people come for prayer. God, I pray you would help us to exalt you. And God, as we honor you, we bless you. We bless you in Jesus' name.